It's another edition of Making Money. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, is standing by, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, a retired broadcaster. Uh, we're going to talk about the art of not losing today, Ron. And you mentioned in, in a little teaser on our last episode that you'd heard about a speech that Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's partner from Berkshire Hathaway, gave it uh, at a university down in California. And you thought, boy, there's a lot of really good information in there. Is Is the point of not losing better than paying attention to making money? I don't know. Is the, uh, you got to do both, don't you? Losing money is something that is integral to the, to the investment equation, and we're going to talk about that uh, as we go forward, why big mistakes can literally wipe you out, and uh, it'll take you so long to get your capital back. By that time, uh, the, the best part of your earning years are behind you. So uh, not losing money is important, and it's something that is not focused upon. Um, you go to most websites, they tell you how much money you're going to make buying something, but there's very little dialogue about how much you could lose if things go wrong. And so we're trying to help you to focus on both sides of the equation. If you want to be a good investor, uh, if you don't focus on, on not losing, it could be uh, extraordinarily damaging for you. In fact, it could wipe out your investment career. And uh, just a quick quote from that California Institute of Technology speech that Charlie Munger gave, and he said in the beginning and in his opening remarks, he says, it's remarkable how much long-term advantage people like us have gotten by trying to be consistently not stupid instead of trying to be very intelligent. I rub my nose in my mistakes. I try and keep things as simple and fundamental as I can. And I like the engineering concept of a margin of safety. In other words, buying things where there's some safety if something goes wrong. I'm a block and tackle kind of thinker. I just try to avoid being stupid. And all I can say to that is amen. Yeah, absolutely. Wouldn't that be a good way to run your life? Yeah. <laughs> We've all made mistakes. Sometimes you look back at me and think, boy, that was really dumb. Why did I do that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so... Big mistakes can be hard to recover from, right? The bigger the drop, the tougher it is to make a comeback. I mean, if you lose 20% on investment, it'll take you 25% to get your back to ground zero. If you lose 50% on investment, it'll take 100% to get back to ground zero. 75% uh, loss takes a gain of 300% to recoup your loss. And if you lose 90% of your money, it takes a 900% gain to get it back. And so most people have had 90% losses somewhere in their investment career. Not very many people have had 900% gains on their investments. So there's far more people losing 90% than making it back with a gain of 900. So the point here is just don't lose money because once you say dig yourself a hole, it's almost impossible to get yourself out. And if you bought manias over time, and I think, you know, I mean, you go look back over your investment career, Gord. You've seen lots of them, haven't you? Oh, absolutely. The most recent being the, the marijuana one, I would think, probably, yeah. Yeah, and, and for listeners who um, are, have just tuned into the show, if you go back, I think it was June or July, and we did a show on the marijuana bubble and all the lessons you can learn of it on it. And I think we might have even done two shows on that. There's a lot of material there. So... You know, the marijuana bubble, and uh, if you go back and look at some of the big bubbles over the last 
uh, 40 or 50 years. You have Japan's markets peaked in 1989 and are still 25% below those levels. That was 32 years ago. U.S. stock markets didn't recover from the crash of 29. They finally broke even again in 1954. That was 25 years later. People forget gold peaked in 1980 at $850 an ounce, and it finally regained $850 an ounce in 2008. That is 28 years later. And it took the NASDAQ 15 years to recover from the tech crash in 2000. It was, uh, it was up at 8,000, and then it dropped to 1,000, and that took 15 years to make it back. And the point here is that many of these bubbles take a third of an average human lifetime to make up their losses. So if you get dragged through the mud, it can take you a very, very long time to come back. And since 1929, we've had um, five market crashes of 40% or more. That's one every 18 years. And these are pits that just take you a long time to crawl out of. So you really need to focus on loss control. So what you want to do then is you want to have a portfolio that, that's stable. You don't want a lot of volatility in there that you've you got to panic and try to figure out how you're going to cover those losses, right? You know, in my discussions with you over the years, Gord, the one thing that always impressed me was when we'd have discussions about particular investments, you'd always want to know what the downside was and whether there was anything hidden in there. And so discussions would weave back and forth between where are the opportunities, but also you wanted to know about the risks. And of course, Warren Buffett had the famous saying that there are basically two rules of investing, and this is all you need to know. Rule one is don't lose money. And rule two is don't ever forget rule one. (laughs) You know, and uh, I mean, if you take a look, there's a book called Muscular Portfolios by Brian Livingston, and I highly recommend anyone who enjoys financial books. It's one of the best books that I've ever read, and it's in my top 20. And if you saw my place, you know that I just have shelves and shelves. You do shelves have a lot of books. books. <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a lot of financial books. But if you had a portfolio that between 2000 and 2015 dropped half as much as the market, so if the market dropped 50%, it dropped 25 And then it went up two-thirds as much as the market did, as the S&P 500 did in bull markets. So if the market went up 50%, it went up 33. And you take a look over 15 years how well you would have done. Well, the S&P 500 would have averaged 4% a year. And this portfolio that dropped half as much during bear markets and gained two-thirds as much during bull markets actually grew at 6.1%. So it, it was 50% better returns by focusing on things that that will reduce the downside in the portfolio because, as I say, controlling risk and limiting your downside really is an unanalyzed, untalked-about key to how the big money makes money and keeps it. So discipline is the key here. You know, discipline is the key. And uh, like in our conversations of old, you know, you've got to be asking the questions. You've got to be asking what can go wrong with this? And, and exploring those possibilities as much as you're exploring the possibilities of will this thing go up? 
and which means that you've got to take the two prominent emotions that investors have, fear and greed, and you sort of have to put them in the corner. You have to make sure that you're dispassionately analyzing what you're doing. Now, right now with uh, Robin Hood and, and these crazy market moves that we're seeing in stops, stocks like GameStop and uh, BlackBerry, and the list goes on and on of, of companies that have literally tripled, or in, in I think, GameStop's case, it went up 18,000%. Now it's Lord. almost yeah. back down to where it started. You know, there's no logic behind this. So this is strictly greed and fear moving these markets. And, and if you get caught up in that, um, you know, you hear all the short-term uh, stories on the Internet of people that made a fortune. But now that many of these stocks have come back down, you're starting to see where they were completely wiped out or they committed suicide or just some very, very disappointing things. So you don't want to end up there. You don't want to end up being wiped out because you let greer, greed and fear overwhelm your ability to, to seriously analyze uh, what you're getting into. You know, over the years, Ron, uh, so many of my friends that were investing and, and came along, oh, I've got a hot one for you, Gord. you got to check this out. And I, I would I'd sit and listen, and I would say, well, yeah, but you know, I'm a conservative investor, <laughs> and I have been my whole life. I don't, I don't like taking chances. And I think no, that's, an important, that's an important strategy, isn't it? Well, when people hold, turn their nose up at what they call widows and orphan stocks, which are often utility names, and the Dow Jones Utility Index over the last decade averaged 11% a year. The Global Discretionary Index, which is another uh, exchange-traded fund, and it's just packed with names like Starbucks, McDonald's, Pepsi, Home Depot. This averaged 13.9% a year. This did extraordinarily well. And, you know, since 1972, uh, the long-term average annual appreciation for Hawaiian real estate, for example, has been around 6% a year. You know, buying a little place and just just hanging on to it. These investments that most people turn their nose up at as being widow and orphan stocks, as they're they're often called in a derogatory sense, these have done extraordinarily well. And so you don't need uh, high flying junior stocks or highly speculative things to get very decent returns, because you remember how the math works, which we talked earlier. All you need is, is one of these high flyers that you put money into, go down 90%, <clears throat> and it's going to take you, it could take you a lifetime to get back, or more conservative things that just put steady eddy performance on the table over the long term for a conservative investor or where the bulk be. I've heard this saying before that you have to have a financial stool in your, in your strategy going forward, and the stool has many legs. Yeah, I mean, if you're if if you're on a three-legged bar stool, um, the stool can tip over. But the more legs you add, the harder it is, and the to to push that over. And I know in my personal investment stool has six legs. I have insurance, I have real estate, I have personal businesses, stocks, fixed income, and precious metals. And so, since my financial status is not dependent on the outcome of any one category or asset that typically in the bumpy markets, I uh, don't do it nearly as badly as, as people that, that have much more focus in their portfolio. Now, also means in great markets, I don't do as well. But as we, we talked about earlier, you know, if I get 
half the downside and two-thirds the upside, I'm going to do really well over the long term. And so that's my goal is just to have less downside in my portfolio. You have a saying written in here, balance is beautiful. What do you mean by that? Well, if you look between 1991 and 2018, the S&P 500 had a very, very nice return of 9 three quarter percent per year. But a portfolio of 60% S&P 500 stocks and 40% bonds averaged a very respectable 8.5% over the 28-year period that uh, this was looked at. A balanced portfolio was almost equal to the return of a 100% stock portfolio, but it had 40% less volatility. So that's just one example of mixing a stock portfolio up with some bonds. But if you mix your stock portfolio up with some insurance, if you mix it up with some precious metals, if you mix it up with some real estate, um, you're going to get a portfolio that's very, very durable. And that's why balance is so beautiful, it, it, especially as you move toward retirement and you're losing your main source of income, you want stability of assets. Okay, so let's take a look about, you have to know going in, is this, is, does this have a real legit chance? That's where you do your homework and you analyze, right? You look at the downside, you look at the upside, and then you make your decision. There again, Gord, that's just a classic comment that you, you always had. You know, what's the probability of this thing making money? And if you take a look at Powerball, well, it's $292 million to one gold mine from four stakes in the ground are about one in a thousand and developing a drug that's already in stage one trial. So a lot of the risk is already behind it is still one out of 10. And so long-term wealth is built by consistently investing things where the odds of making money are high. And the more of those things that you can put together, the better your returns are going to be. So you have to know your risk. Okay, so you also want to stay in your area of competency, and that was always my full strategy here. There were so many things in the market, I had no clue what the businesses were about. I stayed away from them. Ones that I knew, you know, healthcare, food, things like that, pretty, you know, I used them every day. They kind of made sense to me, right? So competency of your investment knowledge is key here? It's, it's extraordinarily important, and also... People typically think they know a lot about things when they really don't, or they think they're smarter than they really are. I mean, all the, all the surveys show that the bulk of the population, whether in Canada or the U.S. or Europe, thinks they're in the top quartile as far as being safe and good drivers. Well, you can't have 90% in the top quartile. People overestimate their abilities, and unfortunately, that's especially true when it comes to stocks. They think they know something or they know more about a sector than they really do. You know, you've got to be realistic here. Uh, invest in things that you know well, and there's enough things that you know well that it forms a very, very broad base. You know, the gutters are full on Wall Street of people that their egos were just too big. Uh, to stop and analyze what they did wrong. And certainly, you know, Albert Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. You've got to, I know once a year I sit down, I review all the things in my portfolio that have gone down. I know why the things went up that went up. That's fairly intuitive. But often I've been blindsided, you know, something I didn't think was all that important turned out to be a lot more important than I thought. So I sat down. Usually I do this every January when I'm doing my taxes. I pull out and look at all my uh, things where I made mistakes, and I try to write down where I made those mistakes. 
and then I try to rectify that so I'm not making the same mistake again. And that's how you get better at investing over time. Okay, avoid the profits of doom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if, if you listen to what I call negative or doomsday TV, you would never invest in anything. You'd, uh, you'd build a bomb shelter, buy yourself lots of ammo, and supply <laughs> it with 10 years' worth of food and uh, just stay down there because the world is so black, according to these guys. You know, the old saying is that it's always darkest before it gets totally black. Well, that's the world these guys live in, and a broken clock is right twice a day. But that can be a very long wait for these doomsdayers to be right. And often they, they, are, they might eventually be right that a sector of the economy is falling, but uh, they never think it's going to come back. And they predicted it all the time. I still remember a book that somebody gave me just when I started my investment career in the early 80s. And it was how the markets were going to collapse. Anyways, this author, when the markets didn't collapse, he'd take his book off the market. But he's republished that book virtually every five years over the last 40 years. And when things look gloomy, this thing makes a bestseller list. Then it disappears again because none of his predictions have turned out to be right. So you've got to be very careful of this stuff. Uh, you know, you want to look and analyze where things can go wrong. But predicting a, a perpetual doomsday is not how you're going to eventually make money uh, on the markets. Okay, so I guess maybe this might be a little redundant, but your final point here is, is you don't jump around. Uh, stay, stay the course. Stay with what you know, right? You know, the Dalbar has uh, an investment behavior report. It's eagerly looked at every year. And for the past 20 years, uh, the S&P 500, like I said, averaged 9.85%. The average investor made 5.19. Why? Because rather than staying the course, they jumped in and jumped out. And I'm not referred, just referring here to, to if you've got a, an investment that hasn't done well where you take it off the table. But these guys are market timing. They're always trying to figure out whether they should be all in or all out. So they jump in and they jump out. And it affects the returns. You know, literally half the returns that you get by just buying and holding and fixed income you know, people that jump in and out of the bond market, uh, the returns for just holding bonds over the last decade was 4%, and the returns for jumping in and out were 0.4 that investors got. So you really want to, to hold on and spend time analyzing uh, what you're doing for opportunity, but you also want to look at the loss, and then you don't want to let fear and greed take over because you're going to be jumping around and you're going to be listening to doomsdayers and you're not going to do anything or you're going to do it at the wrong time. So learning how to avoid loss is probably the most critical tool an investor needs to make if they want to be successful over the long term. I'd highly recommend you play this um, back two or three times and really get the principles we're talking about here. Like I say, this is a a big, quite a bit of this was uh, came from uh, Charlie Munger's Speech. discussions yeah. that he had with the California Institute of Technology. So these are important principles that if you want to be a successful investor, you've got to incorporate them into your investment process. Okay, that wraps it up for this week. Uh, coming up, Ron, as you, you sort of teased it last week, we're going to start a series on mining, a big, big topic. And when you, you know, when you say mining to people, 
I think the first thing that jumps into people's minds is gold, probably, right? But there's a lot yeah. more that's mined around the world than just gold. <laughs> All kinds oh, of metals uh, and minerals, right? Yeah, there's industrial minerals, there's precious metals, there's agricultural minerals, there's energy, there's stuff like uranium, there's bitumen, uh, there's base metals. So there's a lot of different sectors. And of course, uh, one of the catalysts that's uh, caused us to, to do a three-part series on this is just if the electric car industry takes off like it looks like it will because it's going to be mandated by government, um, there's many, many metals like copper and cobalt and lithium where the demand is going to go up nine or ten times over the next decade. And if it does, we could have what they call a commodity super cycle. So we're not only going to take the different sectors of the mining industry, but we're going to look at whether we could have a super cycle that will affect all commodities and what that super cycle looks like. So we've got a lot of things to unpack over the next three weeks. The financial coach, Ron Hebert, will lead the unpacking expedition. I'll be along for the ride. My name is Gord White. And if you have a question for us, don't forget you can send it to us through our website, letsmakemoney.ca, or also reach us through our friends at cfcw.com, where Making Money airs on their website. We'll be happy to answer your questions in upcoming episodes. On behalf of Mr. Hebert, the financial coach, thanks for joining us. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.